Trends podcast, where we discuss the latest manufacturing technology research and news. I'm Benjamin Moses, the Director of Manufacturing Technology, uh, and I'm here with... Stephen Lamarca, Technology Analyst. Steve? Ew. Ew, dude. <laughs> I just did that. I just did that creepy uh, twitch thing with my head that uh, the guy from Pop- the Papa John's commercials does. <laughs> he was like, better research, better podcasts, <laughs> AMT Tech Trends. Oh, man. Welcome to day 1,000 of the coronavirus. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's uh, only day 1,000. <laughs> we got a lot going on. Uh, uh, one good thing, though, weather's kind of warming up. I got the sprinklers back up and running. Felt good. Um, it's one of the uh, couple automation things I've got out, going on at home. And I'm really happy with the way things have been automated. The sprinklers I've had uh, since after we recorded the last episode, and they've been running great. Uh, the evidence I have that they've been working well is the grass is getting more green. And nice. That's good data. That's good data. Yeah. Um, uh, all the brown patches, all the hibernation and uh, the re- recovery from the winter has been going great. Um, also, the robot vacuum cleaner has actually been fixed now. So I had issues where it would get stuck every night and uh, just wouldn't vacuum most of the floor. Um, I moved it to a different location. I don't know if yeah. that fixed it, but for me, it's working more and it's not getting stuck as often. So... That's been working out. Interesting. Great. Yeah, it's weird. Well, that's awesome. You got you got the home out automation is finally uh, past the teething process. It yeah, sounds. I'm a little worried though because uh, so the sprinkler system working great, um, and the people around me have permanent installs put in, which kind of annoys me. So every sure. season I've got the kind of above ground system, so I take it all apart for the winter time and take take it back out. Uh, I'm not going to invest in a uh, in ground system just yet. I'm going to hold out. Uh, but I have uh, external timers, uh, so they're connected right to the uh, uh, spigot outside. Uh, you're not supposed to get below 32 degrees, um, according to the pa- the sticker on the timer. Uh, I got Whoa. to 33 degrees last night, uh, which is weird for springtime, I think. So it was a little little cold. Uh, the, the Everything was wet this morning, so I think it worked or it could be leaking. Uh, sorry, then, I don't know. But yeah. uh, it got a little chilly last night. It did. It's actually been kind of chilly. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's been really bright. Of course, <laughs> of course, we've got like one of the most beautiful springs, uh, at least in of any year in my recent memory yeah. of this area. And we're locked inside. <laughs> it was like, I think it had a high of 40 some degrees today. I don't know. Oh, really? Yeah. But well, I won't be honest. It's pretty, but it's cold. Yeah. But speaking of temperatures, um, with respect to my home test bed, which yeah. really is just the raspberry pie that I've been blabbing at about for the past few episodes. Um, as you know, um, it's been, it's been overheating. It's had an overheating issue and it's a known issue with all raspberry pie fours. It's yep. not just me. I'm not abusing it. Um, <laughs> which you should, I recommend res- abusing any electronics equipment. <laughs> I mean, you know, yeah, yeah. For a half hour at a time, yeah. you, you should abuse <laughs> you should it. Abuse it. Um, but, uh, so it's been overheating. I tried, uh, as you know, from the last podcast, I tried adding some heat sinks and it didn't really quite work. Um, and these are passive the, heat sinks, right? So there's these no are fan. Just passive yeah. heat just, sinks. Like yeah. they have like this, um, this, this like thermal compound tape, which I'm not even uh, sure is actual thermal compound. I think it's just, just tape, you know, <laughs> it's, I think it's just double, not even, pro- it's probably not even like brand name 3M double-sided tape. It's probably like some off-brand stuff. 5M double-sided. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 5N from China. Um, but uh, yeah, it's like, it, it, like it was double-sided tape 
uh, and you stick the heat sink onto, you know, the chips that you want cooled. Um, and I put a heat sink on the CPU, the RAM, and some other chip that I probably should know what it is, but I have no idea. Sure. It does, it's not like it has a GPU, so I have <laughs> really no idea what it is. Um, didn't work. Yeah. Um, most recently, I got some, I ordered some pretty high-end, you know, I've been watching a lot of PC videos on YouTube, ordered some pretty high-end uh, uh, thermal compound, thermal grizzly. Yeah thermal compound which is the stuff all the you know the computer nerds use that's yep. the good stuff they use that in between the cpu and the cpu cooler exactly yeah. yeah and so what i did was i pulled the heat sinks back off i pried them off i cleaned up the chips and the heat sinks with 91 percent isopropyl alcohol to remove all of the adhesives to remove the heat you know uh, the, the thermal compounds you know the proper to way to the chips proper way to use 91 percent alcohol right how do you use it? You take a sip and then you use it. <laughs> no? Okay. <laughs> Isopropyl doesn't work like that. Oh, no. <laughs> please, please, everybody listening, do not drink isopropyl alcohol. <laughs> it actually turns into, I think, methanol in your body. Yes. Yeah. It's very It, it, it very does helpful. something really nasty to you. Not yes. fun. Um, Should I just claim uh, that was a joke? Okay. <laughs> I got you. I got you. But I don't know who's listening, man. Yeah. You can't let them. Don't, don't let people try that. Um, if you get in trouble, anyway, fax us a, a letter. <laughs> uh, write, write us, write your complaint on the back of a hundred dollar bill. <laughs> um, but uh, so I cleaned up the, 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 the board with uh, and chips with the isopropyl alcohol and I cleaned up the, uh, the heat sinks with it. Yep. And then I applied a little bit of the thermal compound and stuck the heat sinks back on. Okay. Um, and it seemed to help at first. And then, you know, a half hour later, I get the overheat warnings, hmm. your CPUs being throttled. And so I kind of like gave up and, you know, not immediately, but I did realize that, okay, I was seeing at first these things working and then they didn't. Mm -hmm. And I realized that, while I wasn't preventing, I wasn't able to prevent the Pi 4 from overheating, I was slowing down the change in temperature. Oh, uh, okay. Um, so, and, and that's what, you know, uh, military weapons companies use with like machine guns. Uh, on, on a machine gun, you use a heavier barrel, a thicker walled barrel on a machine gun than you would a you know a standard issue rifle and the purpose of that is not only for weight you know it's typically a machine gun mounted to a vehicle or something like that but with sustained fire which rapidly gets the temperature up on you know the, the, the gun barrel using throwing more material at it which is effectively what you're doing with a heat sink um, slows how fast the temperature uh, changes you know, which can have a negative effect because that also slows how quickly the barrel cools too. Right. But it's it's essentially the same science used for uh, the cooling of a computer chip with a heat sink. That is, you know, we're not talking about using fans, but right. So you increase the uh, basically thermal mass of it that it has yeah. to accumulate. And it was kind of a fail on you know the the poor little Raspberry Pi just because. The Raspberry Pi Four is awesome. It's yeah. the most it's the most powerful uh, Pi that you know that company has made, um, and it's a very impressive computer uh, for the size and it's simple, which is awesome. 
But you ruin all of that simplicity when you realize that the only way to effectively keep this thing cool and powerful is by putting some sort of fan cooling system right. on it. So all of the simplicity that you engineered into it is out the door. Yeah. Um, so what are you going to do is, next? Which is, you know, shame. Yeah. What I do next, so I replace it with a very expensive gaming PC <laughs> that's liquid cooled and it's very nice. But I like it, it. This is really, you know, for me, and it's yeah. also part of being cooped up at home uh, during this pandemic. You know, it gives me something else to do. So yeah. was, maybe I'll take your pie and uh, use it in a future automation. Yeah, no, I can. We, it can definitely. We can definitely do the brotherhood of the traveling pie. All right, um, that. and send it around. It's awesome. It's got a great enclosure for it. It's got the heat sinks on it. Um, but yeah, had yeah. to be replaced by speaking of which this new gaming rig yeah. hasn't all been done for play. I've actually ran, uh, Autodesk's fusion 360 to, uh, you know, look at, uh, and tweak with, um, the, uh, AMT test bed model yeah. that I'm doing yep. and man does a powerful computer mean a whole <laughs> world of difference when you're doing like CAD design. Yeah. So for background, you were using it on a basic say business laptop. That's yeah. Um, that doesn't, that has onboard graphics, onboard graphics, medium grade <laughs> CPU, low Ram. Now you've gone to a full desktop uh, computer. That's got its own discrete video card, a uh, high end processor and tons of Ram. I mean, it must, must be light and day difference. Plus you're on a big screen. You're using your TV as a monitor, right? Yeah. So it must be awesome to move the model around and you probably can manipulate the entire cell if you wanted to. Right. And everything I've done on this computer so far with either CAD or video games, um, not only has like the temperature not even crept into the sixties, yep. it's been in the low fifties the whole time, but the thing has been silent. Oh, nice. It hasn't made a peep. Yeah. And, you know, there's no lag or, or, uh, you know, any sort of like, uh, imaging fractals that you'll see on the screen yeah. when I'm, I'm playing in fusion 360. it's on, I, I can't find enough stuff to throw at this thing. <laughs> yet, but. I mean, so I'm assuming you're enjoying the water cooling then. Yeah, yeah, I really am. That's the way to the go. silence is nice. Yeah. So tell me about your first article. You, uh, mentioned you got something on some, um, Machine learning and social distancing? Yeah. So um, somebody sent me over the weekend, I think Saturday night, somebody sent me, actually reached out and sent me this really cool um, MIT article about, the title is Machine Learning Could Check If You're Social Distancing Properly at Work. And I figured this would be a great article to bring up for a handful of reasons. Number one, it's by MIT. You know, okay. when they speak, people listen. <laughs> um and secondly, we're talking about social distancing and the pandemic and, 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 you know, just being safe to flatten the curve and whatnot. Um, and then thirdly, we want to talk about it because they're using machine learning mm -hmm. and you don't even need to read the article. I, it, I behoove you and all of our listeners to check out this article. I'll link it in the description. Um, just because just to click the link because the first thing that you'll see right below the title is like a gif um or that's either a gif or like a short video clip sure. of essentially people walking up and down this city street somewhere i don't know where it is i think it's in europe mm -hmm. um but people walking up and down the city street and the computer that is monitoring this video feed is putting a box around every person right 
and even a little baby in this being pushed in the stroller has a <laughs> box around it, which is kind of creepy. Um, but everybody's got a box around them. And if the box around a person is green, that indicates that that person is six or more feet away from everybody else. Any other, uh, um, identified person yeah. on this street. Yep. Um, if people are too close, it puts a red box around them. If they're under six feet from each other, it puts a red box around them and a line connecting uh, to, to visualize um, who that person is too close to mm-hmm. that many people. And it's just, it's wild. I mean, yeah, this technolo- technology has been around for a while, yeah. Um, but it's good to see it being used in like a non- creepy uh big brother-esque <laughs> platform instead it's just yeah. like hey 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 you guys six feet and you i know, do instead like it's being like a pool lifeguard <laughs> yeah that's a good point i do like in the article also the kind of third paragraph to talk about is under the hood and uh one thing that i've always wondered about so they have a use case how do i use that use case in my own scenario uh and it gets into how do i calibrate it to like other scenarios they get into other scenarios they could use it for like a like a really large factory you want to implement like an amazon warehouse or something like that yeah where you want to implement um make sure ensure social distancing uh potential and, collisions like if you collisions, can right. measure if, 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 a, if a machine learning system like that can measure uh the distance between known moving objects um and it, it can probably also calculate their speed yeah um and then then you can have a differential equation implemented into the vision system in that if if this object is going this speed it has to have a larger distance between other objects so it can maneuver safely at that speed or if something's getting too close it needs to slow down regardless of whether or not that other object is getting getting closer to being in its path or not yeah and it talks about uh, what's required for calibrating to that local environment, basically taking known measurements out in that space and putting that back into the algorithm. So they're using a neural network. So it's right. that's a solid implementation. And we have a lot to learn from what's being done in autonomous vehicles and uh, automated ground vehicles to other applications. I mean, oh, yeah. this is kind of the similar uh, object image recognition that you would see like in a you know any other uh, autonomous or um, supported vehicle. So cool. Awesome Remember article. when uh, Tesla, I think it was Tesla, had that hiccup with their uh, autonomous vehicle programming mm-hmm. that if if the car needed to do a U-turn, it would do a U-turn to the capabilities that the vehicle could do a U-turn. Oh. <laughs> and so the thing <laughs> was doing fast. like FBI style <laughs> J-turns and and then people realized, or, well, then they realized, oh, whoa, we need to slow that, not make it to the vehicles capabilities yeah. not to the vehicles limits yep. it should be to the limits of human comfort yeah <laughs> that's so a good point well you learn little things like that too in yeah. that kind of programming speaking of uh, automated vehicles the next article i have actually it's a video from um uh, youtube uh it's adam savage's uh, tested channel uh yeah. so adam savage of course is originally from mythbusters he has a youtube channel uh so he goes around doing adam savage type things getting some cool technology talking about it um, uh, I have an, I saw another video that he did where he talked about, uh, AV equipment for the uh, play Hamilton. I was really nerding out about the AV equipment that they had, but that's a different, uh, podcast we can talk about. Uh, and he was, um, taking the Boston dynamics robot named spot around. Uh, oh, no way. I don't know if he has it or they lent it to him, but he had one that he could use and he was there by himself in a 
kind of open area and he was showing kind of how to use it. Um, and, and I think it, uh, it's a really good video that shows that it's not a mysterious thing that's uh, working as a sentient object. It's basically an, a significantly more advanced drone, right? So if you've seen any of those right. four blade drones, it's you've got a tablet or a phone and a bunch of controls. Um, in the video that they sh- uh, the Adam shows, he's got a controller with a, um, a, a tablet built into it, uh, and he's moving around based on that tablet. Now, no way. of course, you can have maybe program different locations, but the way he was using it was, hey, robot, go in this direction, go at this speed, go at this gallop. Um, uh, and while at a very basic level that sounds really immature, but at when you look at the controls and some of the interesting things that he points out in the video, there's some really cool uh, collision detection going on. And it's probably coupled with the, you know, machine learning type uh, object recognition that you talked about in your article. Um, so the, I have a couple of scenarios that he walked, that he uh, points out. So one where he's uh, moving the robot away machine, I'm calling it a machine. I'm not calling it a dog. I'm calling it a machine <laughs> or he's moving the machine away and he gets closer like a lamppost and he gets near the lamppost, but then it walks next to it. Uh, it doesn't actually collide. It doesn't do anything. But one thing they point out in the video where the leg is actually really, really close. And if you use the standard gate, the leg would have hit the post, but on its own um, controls it moved the leg and did its kind of jog with that one leg to avoid touching the uh, lamppost. No way. So mm-hmm. instead of like moving the leg in like, uh, a front back the, motion. the, the yeah. most direct path. Yep. It did it in like sort of like a uh, yeah. uh, a curved path yep. to it go around. around it. Wow. Yep. Uh, so there was another scenario where uh, he's asking the robot uh, machine to go forward, and it's close to a building, so uh, the front of it's about to collide, collide into the into the wall. And of course, it's smart enough not to collide into it, but it's still receiving command to go forward. So what it does is starts moving uh, perpendicular, or, or I'm sorry, parallel to the wall, but his body's still perpendicular. So he's looking for a way to go around that object and still continue to go forward. So I thought that was really fascinating where it didn't just stop like an emergency stop or uh, didn't know what to do. It's still receiving commands from the operator to go forward and still trying to figure out how to go forward. So that that was fascinating. Uh, And the last scenario that it, um, that he points out was um, it tries to go, it goes up a flight of stairs that has a landing. Uh So it's got to go back onto itself. So it's smart enough to kind of place each foot on a step uh, comfortably, articulate around the landing, which is fairly tight, and then continue up the stairs. Um, I think uh, Adam was forcing it or controlling it to go around the landing. It wasn't command to say, go upstairs. You know, he was kind of driving it around as as you would a drone. Uh, okay. But the um, sensors on the robot, and actually it's interesting that you uh, see in the video where uh, it has a warm-up phase. So you actually put the machine down upside down and it has a warm-up phase where it writes itself up and then kind of stretches around and looks around and you can see the different cameras all around the uh, uh, robot uh, so it is kind of monitoring its own feet so it's got not only the forward-looking vision system but it's got some under the belly and some on the rear so it can see almost wow. 360 degrees and it can see kind of self-aware because it could has uh it can see its own legs so 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 when you deploy this and we won't call it a dog we'll call it a quadrupedal <laughs> drone yeah uh, when you deploy this drone uh unlike a um, an aerial drone yep. where you like you need to launch it from like a flat surface and you put it upright this has to start upside down uh, it looked like it yeah so you carry it and uh it's got handles so you mentioned <laughs> that uh basically the entire thing is an entire pitch point 
So unless you use the handles, your hand will get pinched at some point because gotcha. uh, the legs are so close to the robot. Um, interesting. But it was really interesting. It's a really good look at, hey, this thing isn't mysterious. You control it like you would anything else, except it's smart enough to be more self-aware so it wouldn't collide and clash, uh, crash into things. And, uh, and if you think about kind of the scenarios that he walked us through in that video is kind of uh, indicative of what the implications of how to use that in real life. So it's not uh, a warehouse robot where, you know, you build a flat factory and it picks up a bunch of things. It's a, say, like a post office delivery thing where you can have it go up and down stairs or um, you can issue commands and it'll kind of figure out certain things uh, within a set of constraints. So there's Pretty good video. That I is, recommend it. That is cool. I will watch that. I will definitely watch that after this. Yeah. You know what would be really cool? And it's, it's kind of uh, silly for me to say this, but I think it would be a really cool project to do for science. I think somebody, whether it's Boston Dynamics or somebody who just buys a handful of these spots, mm-hmm. um, should uh, take these to like, you know, the, the Iditarod. And see how they handle <laughs> themselves against a bunch of huskies. There was a uh, manufacturing uh, paper that was presented uh, five years ago on swarm robotics. So the <laughs> idea was let's construct something but use super simple robots that have super simple sensors, maybe like one or two, but all working together somehow to effectively construct something. Either they would use themselves as a construction device, so they're building themselves, or go and fetch objects. Uh, so the idea of swarm um, uh, robotics is growing, uh, not at the yeah. pace you would expect, but the idea of five or six things giving uh, a singular task and they work together to figure it out is uh, moving along. Wow. Yeah. A little scary at the same time. But cool. But cool. Yeah. Tell me about your uh, paper on metrology. So my last one, my last article that I have, um, just scanning metrology news. I love that website. Um, <laughs> but uh I came across an article um, released two days ago. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't matter. Um, optical metrology system improves alignment of military vehicle performance. Mm. And you and I both being gearheads, uh, you know, we get our cars aligned. And the technology just to align a, a, a civilian automobile it has come a long way, yeah. a ridiculously long way. Not only do... Um, our alignments now performed not so much by they're still performed executed by hand but all of the measurement is done uh with lasers and stuff like that and and those alignment racks that they put your car on at uh, a service center have come a long way and you know you look at well why the hell is an alignment 100 150 (laughs) dollars to get it done and it's just like not only does it uh, take a lot of time with the with the manual labor it's relatively it seems like relatively easy work especially when you have a lot of the advanced computer systems but they're still expensive because you have to pay for all that high-end metrology to do that but um you know what i'm trying to get is the technology's come a long way and like i'll when i drop my car off um at the service center in tyson's i actually pull into like this uh this bay where I just drop off my car and I get out. But as I'm pulling in, I drive over, I notice that I'm driving over these sensors and cameras and I asked somebody there what they were doing. And, um, it's cameras, vision systems, and lasers Mm -hmm. measuring not only the tread depth of my vehicle's tires to, you know, measure how much life 
is left is spe- expected in the tires that I'm running, but it actually measures the alignment of the treads wow. of one tire to all four of the other tires to verify the total alignment of the vehicle's suspension, which is wild. That's wild. So they can actually tell you whether or not you're wasting your time asking for an alignment or not, <laughs> or whether you might need to, or um, should you need to replace your tires due to uneven tire wear, which may be caused by an alignment. Yeah. So there's a lot of that stuff. And that's just for civilian vehicles. Yeah. This article gets into the metrology system and the means of aligning a heavy military vehicle like a tank mm. or a Bradley fighting vehicle or a striker APC, yeah. which, you know, I'm sure most mechanics, most skilled mechanics <laughs> can probably tell you, oh, it's all the same thing. They're just bigger and heavier, but it, it, there's, there's probably different. You can't, you probably can't put an APC on the same lift that you put a Camry on, <laughs> you know? So you could, it, it, was, it won't end well. <laughs> just it won't end well, yeah. but it's, it's, it's a really fun article to read. And, awesome. you know, metrology just doesn't get enough of the limelight. I agree. And, uh, you know, optical metrology is, uh, underplayed quite a bit. And, uh, Oh yeah. And it's only getting better, only getting better. Absolutely. The last paper I've got is, uh, it's a research paper. Uh, let me read the title here. It's a uh, machine learning based on based image processing for inline detection recognition, uh, in additive manufacturing. So this is an international paper. Uh, most of the work was done from Italy and the U S and the underlying idea is to do, semi-real-time uh, metrology or flaw detection in um, selective laser uh, melting uh, machines. Uh, the idea would be uh, they're using um, machine learning to, uh, one, uh, recognize the image and then also understand if it's a flaw detection. So two, two applications of uh, machine learning. So what they're doing is not real-time as in when the laser's passing. What they're doing is waiting for after the laser passes on the bed and the bed has solidified, they're taking super high-resolution pictures of the bed once it's solidified before the next layer is printed. Uh, so it's a really interesting application. Uh, and the reason why I found it super useful is that um, additive has growing uh, quite a bit and getting into production. And when you look at like aerospace applications, because with my background in aerospace, I'm really interested in those applications. 100% of the parts are either CT scanned or some level of subsurface um, inspection. 100% of the parts. Um, and that's really, really, uh, say, time consuming and tedious and maybe not the best thing for large volume production. Uh, so the idea would be, how do you move forward from there? Um, and I think one thing that we always forget is what are the perils back to castings? So if you look at castings have been around for a hundred some years, castings aerospace have been around for a really long time. What have they been doing? And they've been doing similar type processing where uh, if I make a, if I pour a casting, I do x-ray inspection for all my parts. I do 20, 30 different angles, but those have been semi-automated where I can digitize those also. Uh, So, you know, I'm uh, doing digital x-ray and I can see those flaw details. I can come back, excavate, and reweld and process. And um, if I uh, pro- reprocess within the spec limits to save the part, um, but uh, this method looks at um, as the parts are being processed, collecting enough information to determine um, whether or not I have flaws uh, subsurface. And I thought that was really valuable. But in the end, uh, so one technique, uh, the main technique that they're using uh, for all the machine learning data scientists nerds out there, they're doing deep convolutional neural networks. 
Um, so they're both doing that for image collection, image recognition, and classifying of the uh, flaws. Uh, and and jump to the conclusion here, uh, they achieved a 99.4% accuracy in defective conditions. Uh, so I thought that was really positive news for the industry to help us uh, further along additive manufacturing uh, into production worlds where you want high volume, you need fast processing, uh, you need these unique designs, but you don't want to spend time looking at parts and the human looking at these parts all day also. So I thought that was really good. Yeah. Steve, this was an amazing podcast. Gave a really good update on uh, the news. I'm really hoping for some really, really hot and humid Virginia weather soon. I don't know about you. Uh, not too hot, <laughs> not too humid. You're not a fan a of the hot weather. Warmer. A little bit warmer. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I could, you know, the car really likes the cold air. Ah, uh, <laughs> that's true. And yeah. so do I. Yeah. Well, tell us, uh, tell us how they can find more on our uh, info on the podcast today. You can find everything in the description below. That's including the articles that we're going to, as well as Tim, as well as Ben's LinkedIn account. Um, and you can find Any us. Any other features today? Yeah, and you can find us on amtnews.org. That's right. We're posting all the transcripts also. That's right. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye, everybody. Bye.